Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Hi everybody, welcome to tonight's cheer. I want to thank everybody for coming. Tonight is going to be our 42nd cheer we're doing here. We are uh, working on some big stuff. I'm going to get into it in a few minutes. Come out of year, we're doing this. And Baruch Hashem, uh, the platform is exploding. I want to again thank everybody who's uh, been part of it from the beginning and telling people about it and coming every week and uh, letting people know about it. It's been a tremendous chizik for a tremendous amount of people. And uh, the program is really getting better and better. And we have big stuff in the works. We're going to talk about some stuff, Menachem, tonight. You ready? Uh, you don't even know what I'm talking about. Um, for anybody Make who's going to watch... If anybody who's watching the replay um, on YouTube, please click on the like button for Coach Menachem or the subscribe button, become a member. So every week you get the, the emails. You can also email Coach Menachem to become part of his email list. Every Sunday we send out the flyer about uh, who's coming on. I want to first start off with thanking our advertising sponsors for every, for every week promoting us. First, the Lakewood Scoop for promoting us here mainly in Lakewood. We're a Lakewood-based program, and tonight we have a Lakewood-based guest speaker. So it's all Lakewood tonight. Thank you for that. I want to give a special thank you to Rabbi Anif Chazak for also promoting us on the Chazak, network, Chazak Networks. Special thank you to Chayla Kaufman and Shul Summer from JCN, Jewish Content Network, for always promoting us across all the Jewish digital platforms. Moshe Rapperg has been plastered all over the internet, so uh, they're doing a good job. Baruch Hashem. Thank you for doing that. I want to start off also the next week. We're going to have Chosh uh, Reb Moshe Tovia Lif is going to be coming talking also about Simchas and Mitzvahs. It's actually going to be a different twist on tonight's. So uh, it's really going to be a good part one, part two to take a different uh, twist on it, but it's going to be an amazing share. He's very, very excited about it. Um, he also wants to talk about Simchas and Mitzvahs. And also we're, just, we're still working with Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson to firm up the dates on, we're having a separate share on dating. It's going to be a three-part share, one for the parents, one for the boys, one for the girls. Uh, a lot of Inyanam there. So when, once we get the dates finalized from him, we're going to confirm that. Um, on a side note, I wanted to bring up that uh, since we're doing this almost a year, we got contacted by a few publishers, but we're working with one book publisher and they want to make the first Let's Get Real book from the past, including Rabbi Moshe Rapper, it's Shir tonight, as long as it's good, it's going to be part of the part of the book. We're going to take all the Shirim and be Mikatsa them. There's a lot of tremendous content and, you know, unbelievable stuff that's coming out of them and uh, we'll work on it. Anybody who wants to be involved in it in any way. Please uh, email Coach Menachem. We're working. We need some people to help in certain different yanim. Obviously, Gelt's not a lot. We also need people, uh, you know, helping with some editing and anything that, like that. Anybody wants to be helpful. A lot of, everybody's part of the share. It's not uh, it's everybody's program. So anybody wants to be helpful or could be helpful, please email Coach Menachem at gmail.com. Um, I also want to start, say that Coach Menachem is not collaborating with OK Clarity it's to bring greater health and wellness to the Jewish community around the globe. OK Clarity. The rabbi from. OK Clarity is the online platform for mental health support for the Jewish community. Their online platforms, you can find the best therapists, coaches, and nutritionists, engage in forums, and stay inspired. Links can be found in email, and Menachem will send that email about this, this new online therapy website that's trying to build up. Tonight, we have the schus and the honor of having our old neighbor of mine, so I'm good friends with him, so there's going to be a lot of uh, dialogue, so you'll see that. And I don't have me to call Moshi. He's my good friend, so I call him Reb Moshi. I try to remember. And uh, we really brought him on tonight. It was really a, it was a shotgun move. Um, we, um, we're looking for somebody who really has the full package. And, you know, I have a list of therapists. I have a list of Rabbanim. But, you know, every angle, especially when it comes to Simchas Chaim and Purim, there's so many questions you want to ask for a Rav, so many questions you want to ask for a, somebody who could be, can give a Psaq, an Alocha, somebody that knows medical, somebody who's on a Tzala, 
somebody who's a therapist. And uh, I, after I put in all my filters in Excel, only Moshe Rapperg was left. So uh, we chose him tonight to come on. It's really going to tackle all angles. So thank you, Moshe, for, for, for agreeing today about one o'clock in the afternoon to come on. We really appreciate it. And uh, we really want to be Mechazik Doilem. So tonight's year is going to be Chizik and Geshmak. And um, we really appreciate you coming on. And let's start first with the opening statements from our host, Coach Menachem. Coach Menachem, the floor is yours. Thank you very much. After this opening, I'm really excited. So welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to another program, Sichas Chaverim, like we discussed last week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem. And I first want to thank all of you for sending in your feedback. It's really, I'm really humbled to, to be a part of this, the transformation and uh, see the chizik and the awareness that everybody's getting. So tonight's topic, Simchas Purim, is tap into our, tr our true inner happiness. Question is, what in the world is that? What is inner happiness? And a lot of people think that when you talk about happiness, it's either for kids or it's uh, maybe a little bit cheesy. What happy, we gotta be happy. So let's hear what we're gonna hear a little bit tonight about it. But I remember uh, Rabbi Yaakov Solomon when he was on this, on this platform, he mentioned that happiness is different than Simcha. Happiness is when things are happening. You always want to make sure it's happening and more happening and happening. But simcha, he said, is, is two words. Some moyach. It's really where you put your mind. It's a, it's a mindset. And I'm sure we'll hear a lot of it, a lot of it to, tonight. The truth is that many are having a hard time with happiness, especially now with COVID and People did um, lose relatives. And uh, when you talk about happiness, it's not so easy. And we have to understand how to do that. And then there are the other people that are going through challenges that when you tell them anything about happiness, they turn away. I mean, if you would know what he's going through, why would you tell him to be happy? So that's the question, is it, is it possible? But I wanna talk for a minute uh, about people who Baruch Hashem, don't have any close relatives that passed away, and and life is uh, pretty much okay. And they are trying to find happiness. So it's like when sometimes my kid come down, comes down, Tati, I'm trying to fall asleep, but I can't fall asleep because he's trying too hard. You know, if you try too hard to fall asleep, you're too busy, and you're not gonna fall asleep. In a way, happiness can be the same way. You've got, you've got to stop doing everything you're doing and just stop. You, you have many reasons to be happy already. And if you're not going to train yourself to be happy with what you have, then what, whatever you'll acquire after that, it'll just go into the box of the things that you have already, but it's not going to make you happy. So what you need is just to sit down and relax and just look around, just see what you do have and feel grateful. Start just feeling those positive emotions and feeling grateful for what you have. So it's really not only a question when it comes to Purim. I know Purim, people have a lot of anxiety. You got, have to be happy and but it's really a whole year for a person to feel happy with his day-to-day -day life and to basically 
like the, the basic concept of the half, the, the cup is half full or half empty. Wherever you go, you can always have more. Whatever you do, there's always more, there's always growth. Are you seeing the things that you have? Are you looking at the rungs that you went up the ladder or you're looking up and seeing how much you still need so you're not happy? So it is a mindset. So to be on, being on tonight and like Rebosha mentioned from all three angles, the rabbi, therapist, and the Atzala member who can tell us a little bit more from all the sides, all the questions that we're going to have tonight. Beautiful opening like that. Really appreciate it. We're getting warmed up over here. Moshe, you ready to have fun tonight? I'm ready to go. Can't wait. Okay. So first of all, I want to give a big shout out to a good friend of both of ours, Ramosh Reiberg, Michiel Rivlin. Shout out to you. You finally got your shout out. You made it. You're good to go now. Now you have some chesperim. Tonight's share is being sponsored. Um, do the share screen. Uh, wrong, right. Tonight's share is being sponsored by Ocean Breeze, Breeze Cleaning from Lakewood, New Jersey. A good friend around, a good friend around, Reb Moshe Feldman. Always makes Hymish get to Essen. Ocean Breeze Cleaning, the cleaning company that cleans the outside of your house and property like clean inside. Bring in Pesach with a fresh new look. Please call them now for, for power washing and all types of cleaning before Pesach. The number is 732-276-5660. Again, that's 732-276-5668. Um, again, tonight we're going to be discussing true happiness. Does it actually exist? How can we tap into our true inner happiness? We'll be talking, we'll take this topic from all different angles. The rabbi, the therapist, we said, I'm going to read a short bio from Moshe, just basically who he is, not even a bio. Moshe is, Moshe Rapperig is the rabbi of Kyle Zichrin Yecheskel in Tom's River. He's director of cognitive solutions from Tom's River. He's a certified therapist, LCSW. He's a Magid Shear, the Lake Ratzala. He's an author of a book, Emergencies and an Allah and Medical Decisions. Moshe Rapperig, did I miss anything? Did I cover everything? We're good. We're good. Moshe, the floor is yours. So, first of all, you know, there becomes new norms in, in Yiddishkeit. Like, it used to be, like, you have, you know, you have to have an art scroll. You just can't. You can't learn the daf without it. One of the things a lot of clients tell me, did you hear Sunday night that uh, this person was on there? Did you hear what he said? I'm embarrassed to say Sunday night is, is my busy night. And um, it's incredible. I mean, she was my, was my neighbor for, 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 for many years. Coach Menachem is a, was almost a neighbor across the street. So um, it's incredible what two people just start something, you do the right thing, and it builds and builds. And and it should grow and grow, and you continue doing incredible things. The feedback is incredible. And I also appreciate the fact that I got about a few hour notice on my busiest day of the week. So uh, just, but, but it's a topic which is very near and dear to me, especially we're talking about Purim. Now we're talking about Purim, and, and I, I will, I'm, I'm not embarrassed to say some of the, the two worst years, days of the year for me was Purim and Simchas Torah. Those are the two days I dreaded most. Well, you had to. You have to be besimcha. There's this expectation. There's this belief that you need to do something and feel something, which you always wondered based on previous years, am I going to get there? Am I not going to get there? So um, this is a topic which is, which is I think, a, a great topic. And um, just a few, a few short words here in the opening. So, you know, we talk about happiness. I want to share with you an incredible story, which literally changed my whole look at happiness recently. So I had some, I had a family members over for Yomtev and they come from, they're from Caracas, Venezuela. And when one of the children came into the house, 
know, they were they're, they're, they've they've been here now. It's they can't go back. And they've they've been they've they come into the house. And one of the children asked me, you know, where the bathroom was. And I told him where the bathroom was. And he asked me, does it always work? And I said, yeah, I know it works. You know, it's a bathroom. It works. And he asked me again. Said so. All, all the time, or and something, something confusing. I just ignored him. Just said yes, and then I found out that where he comes from, the water and the power is shut off so often that sometimes they need to know when there's going to be water and when there's not going to be water. And I thought to myself, I'm forty something years old. I never ever thought in my life to be happy that when you go to the bathroom, generally there's water. And that you could actually go, it's an incredible thing. And I thought about how many other things in our life are we not happy about? How many things do we have that we have absolutely no concept to even think to be happy about it? And then we come to Purim. And Purim is fascinating. Because why are people so miserable? Why are we a generation with we have more than we ever had before? The, word, the, 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 less, the least fortunate amongst us are living better than people than the kings lived, you know, hundred not even a hundred years ago, and we still manage to be miserable. We still manage to have, you know, the probably the highest numbers of SSRIs being used in our in our, in our population, our sides of the world. I mean, it's an incredible thing. What is going on? It's it's fascinating, and more and more exactly what Coach Menachem started off with, as he always from his, his, his reputation stands beside him. It's incredible. Happiness is something either you're happy or you're not happy. Certain people are going to be happy and certain people are not going to be happy. What happens in their life is almost irrelevant. So I wanna just share one thought, I wanted just one, one thought about this and how to approach it as we approach Purim and things of the sort. You know, on Purim, I gave a share this morning about Hilchus Purim and I got stuck last night obsessing over the most, the biggest mitzvah on Purim, probably, which Dayan doesn't even, does, a lot of people don't even know about, which is the chiv to eat kreplach on Purim. It's, it's, it's in time of Menachem, right? Menachem, kreplach on Purim. You know there are yidin today that don't eat kreplach? You know there are kids today that don't even know what kreplach are? I'm sure, it's, it's a tragedy. Hishan right? Purim, and Erevim Kippur, you have to eat kreplach. And the saw is even so much so, that they said that Hamantashen became in place of Kreplach. And that because they we were so that was another thing. But the concept is brilliant. The concept is that the inside, the interior, and the exterior of life is never the same. We live a life constantly. We had Purim, the nace of Purim was that it doesn't match. The inside and outside doesn't match. We have one facade for the world, but inside something else is going on. We have the same thing Erev Yom Kippur, where we say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. These, the inside and outside, we don't match, which is Shana Rabba is the same concept. Ultimate happiness is a state of mind. Now, being the biggest, a lot of, most of us believe, if we think about happiness and our lack of happiness, primarily, if we would think about, if we lived alone in an island, Somebody moved with his wife and three children. They moved to an island. There's absolutely nobody around. Nobody. What expectations would there be? Would they be lining up in stores to go get the latest fashions or the latest clothing or the nicest car? Who would care? What would the pressure of life be? 
Think about what happiness is. We've become absolutely dependent on other people's opinions to create our happiness. Am I successful? Depends on somebody else. If you think about happiness, that is really doing the internal work to be able to think, am I, in, am I happy with who I am? Or is it dependent on other people? There are people, some people who are so miserable, who are so down on themselves, and these are golden people. There are some names, I'm even looking on this, on this Zoom, I'm thinking about some, of, some people, I'm looking at these people, I love these people. These are, each one of them, Mamish can bench the people with talents, with gifts from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, with abilities. But you know what? How are they able to look at, when they come home, and they see what they're missing. They see what they're not. They see what they don't have. And it's across the board. Happiness is expectations not being met. It's beliefs of what I need to have or don't need to have and, and, and not being okay with, those, with, with that expectations I created. When it comes to children, people are like, what should I do? My children are not the way I wanted them to be. We created an expectation that a child should be like this and should be like that and should not be like this. And then we create this incredible, incredible sense of emptiness, of loathing, self-loathing. You talk about Bachar when it comes to Purim. He's going to base his Purim, whether how Geshmak it is, basically on either what he heard last year Yeshiva was or that moment he had which he's trying to match up with. Or can he say he had that moment his friends are talking about? It's not Bachram. It's every single one of us. We're happiness. If we think about our happiest times, if any one of us go back and think for one second, what was your happiest time of your life? And chances are, they were the most simplest part times of your life. You probably had the least. You probably had tremendous responsibilities. How many people think back at the times when they were raising children they were putting their kids to sleep, the rat race, they didn't have, but there was a sense of purpose, there was a sense of wholesomeness. So when we talk about a happiness, as we come and we approach Purim, we approach all these concepts, if we think about what we have, if, we don't, if we're not going to sit there hyper-focusing on what we don't have and comparing to other people, if we actually respected ourselves, I want to tell you, for something I'm going to end with, I'm going to close these thoughts with, with just as oh, I'm not going to go on that long. We're almost done, Oshie. Don't worry. Rav Tzadik writes as follows. In Sitka Tzadik, he writes, The same way a person needs to believe in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so too, afterwards, he needs to believe in himself. If I told you this word from anyone else, just read it from the Tzitzka Satsadik. If I tell you this word from myself, they should throw me out of town, I'm a koifer. How could you say such a thing? The same way you need to believe in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, That's the way you need to believe in yourself? How could you even say such words? The answer is that people are so bitter on themselves. People are so tough on themselves. People are looking at their way of life and they just see that if we, if we were okay with us, if we actually realize what strengths we have, what we bring to the table, and what we have monetarily, physically, just what we have, if we would not compare it, if we wouldn't be living in that world of comparing and contrasting, it would be a different world, it would be a different reality. 
So as we come to Purim, the, one of the biggest lessons of Purim is that the external, the internal, they don't have to match up. They don't have to match. And very often they don't match. Very often I could be going through something difficult. But if internally I am okay and I could get to that place of self-acceptance, accepting my way of life, accepting what I need to do, what's required on me, am I good enough? Instead of focusing on what I'm not doing and one of the harshest realities are, when I ask somebody, how are you doing? Where are you holding in life? How they'll jump to the things where they're struggling. How often will somebody say, you know what? I actually had patience for my children this morning. They had no idea what they wanted. I had patience for them. I was there for them. How many times do people do hear that versus how many times the critic in ourselves? So you come to Purim, you're talking about happiness. We may not have those big parties we used to have. It may be a different year, a different feeling. To be able to look around your family and think these are my, this is my family. Or, those, or you're around people who you care about or you love. To be able to take in a moment and stop trying to imagine what it could have been, what it should have been, what other people have. If you take one moment and be okay with you in your situation, there's no greater message that a person can have because happiness turns into an addiction. It never feeds itself. What made me happy today will not make me happy tomorrow. Not with my salary, not with my car, not with my position in a job, nothing. Happiness is something either I will be or I won't be. There's nothing that'll fill happiness externally, only internally, the inside, the inside of that hamantash, the inside of the kreplach. That's what we got to get to in Purim. Thank you, Moshe. More the opening. We have a lot of questions. We're going to try to cover ground. Everybody who's here watching now, please turn on your cameras. You have Moshe Rapper. You can ask him any question. Aloha, therapist. We got it from all angles. So anything you have, let's go. Let's start off with a poll to give you a two-minute break just to get the oil warmed up for Purim over here. You ready? Okay. Three questions. The third question is the most important question. First question is, are you able to tap into simcha of, of the simcha of this time of the year? Yes. Option A. B, I'm trying, but it's a challenge. C, I'm not able to yet. Those are the three options for question number one. Everybody can answer. It's anonymous. We don't know what you're saying. We just want to get a feeling. What best describes your method of becoming the simcha? Five options. Focusing on what you have to do. Helping others, doing chesed. Praying, davening. Connecting with people who inspire you. Or the fifth answer, substance abuse. And the most important question of the night. How many calls did you get from Bachram Collecting this last week? 10, 100, 1,000? I disconnected my phone. Okay, everybody answer the questions. And then we'll uh, get into the live questions. We have a bunch of about 20, 25 live questions over here. And uh, getting a lot of people want to ask live. So I'm saying I they can ask as many. I, I, just because someone asks doesn't mean I can answer the one thing I did learn is that I don't know the answer to everything, but I try my best. Okay, awesome. Let's share the results. You ready? Here we go. Okay. Are you able to tap into Simcha this time of the year? 42% of people, it's a tie. 42% of people say yes. 42% say I'm trying, but it's a challenge. First time we ever had a tie. So we have uh, an interesting answer. 60% say they're completely not able to. What best describes your method of becoming the Simcha? 46% of people said focusing on what we do have. 29% helping others, 6% davening, 6% davening, wow. 18% connecting with people who inspire you, 1% substance abuse. I guess nobody's drinking this perm. How many calls do you get from Bachram collecting this year? 10, 
A hundred, a thousand disconnected my phone. I disconnected my phone, so I, I can't answer. Okay, let's start off with the first question again. All the live questions, let's they'll go first, obviously, and everybody wants to text a text. Um, I'm going to start off with the biggest question that got emailed right before the share started, literally 10 minutes before. I think it really is going to open up the share to everything. The question came in as follows. How do we experience true inner happiness? A lot of people act cheerful, are always happy, but inside it is all fake. And just to show for other people, how do we channel faking acting happiness into real genuine simcha? Okay. Um... Yeah, by the way, am I supposed to X this out or? or, or? Hey, you you X it out. Yeah. All right. Um, if you don't mind, if you just I was busy trying to X it out. What was the question again? I'm sorry. The question that somebody emailed right before the share, which really yeah. is the whole share, really. In in, in the, I just want to start with the biggest, and then we'll work through Got all it. the details. How do we experience true inner happiness? A lot of people act cheerful, are always happy, but inside it's all fake, and just to show for other people. How do we channel the fake acting happiness into real, genuine simcha? Okay, what a great question, because this, this, this person, this, whoever asked this question, is already is is already two not two steps ahead, ten steps ahead. One thing we know is a concept in, in in the mental health world, something called acting as if. Acting as if means I may not be where I'm supposed to be yet. When, I act, when I'm acting as if, I'm already way ahead of the game. So for example, there's a study that came out. If, somebody was a, if somebody's in a bad mood and they took a pencil and they put it in their mouth and automatically you're forced to smile, after a few seconds, the person actually felt better. But a person is not like this. I thought this way. I guess either way, as long as you get yourself to smile. <laughs> so, um, you know, when people, they, they, they put on that depressed, it actually becomes worse. So one thing is for sure, that, that's one part is, is just a chemical response that eventually it'll happen. But there's another very interesting thing. We think about as we're all social animals. Every one of us, we're around people. Nobody likes being around miserable people. And the vibe that people give off when they're in a bad place, when somebody's in a bad mood or somebody just doesn't look happy, the interaction is always gonna be a more subdued, depressed reaction. We all know those people that we avoid. We all know those people that unless we're in a really dark place, we don't engage with them. Because it's just that that interaction is just miserable. And now that person, that poor person could be pulled out possibly by engaging, by being with people around them that want to be more positive, but nobody wants to be around them. The person is just miserable. So when that person at least has the ability to put on that quote unquote act, He's already not just doing something for himself chemically. He's actually engaging people around him and he's allowing for an atmosphere to be created around him. So it's so so that that in itself is already something to come to. The last thing is misery loves company, which is miserable thoughts love bringing more miserable thoughts. When someone's nervous, as you'll notice, we, the, all the thoughts that come afterwards are more anxious thoughts. When someone's depressed, you're down, more depressed thoughts come. So if you're even able just to stop that by faking it, at least you'll stop that spiraling effect. Well, that's a great question. Sometimes people feel that they don't want to fake it. It's If they're not in a good mood, they don't want to do it. Right. And, and you know, people, there are a lot of people that also say, you know, they, 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 I love these types. You know the people that say, look, I'm a very blunt person before they insult somebody because they're very blunt. 
So that gives them the right to be insulting. Or a person that says, you know, I'm a very genuine person. You're not genuine, you're just depressed. And Emes, Emes. Oh, what? Emes, the Emes thing. Emes, right. I'm a very straight person. You're not straight, you're, you're insulting and abusive. And as well, you're not, you're not genuine, you're just miserable. So, I mean, this is, this is, this, these are the kind of things that people want to do to protect. Because it's difficult. It's difficult to act in a way when a person's really depressed. It's hard. So yeah, but you're 100% right. That's that's the responses you're going to get from people. But then, then many people want to know, how do you know if you're not suppressing your emotions? Because really you feel negative and now you're playing as if everything's fine and you're doing okay. Right. So there's a very big difference between ignoring um, things that you're failing and then acting on it in a negative way. So that means... If, if I'm very, very down about something, something is bothering me, me making believe it doesn't exist, what people do with trauma, when they brush it under a rug and they make believe it never happened, that's repressing. When a person doesn't allow themselves to feel, they don't acknowledge it, but they feel like they, they get upset, I don't want to feel this, I want to run away, that's repressing. When somebody is very aware of what they're feeling, but right now I don't want to engage in it. We have the disengage button to say, not now. When it comes to Purim and you just got a bill and you don't know how to pay it, it doesn't mean that you're going to be irresponsible and say, okay, I'm done. You know, that's it. I'm not, I don't even know from the bill, throw it out. I know about the bill, but right now I'm not going there. And that's a very, very big difference. But thank you for clarifying. Those, those, those very good. Very good. Okay. So now we have a question of this year was a complete disaster for me and my family. I lost my job. My kids are failing, are falling apart in Yiddishkeit. How can I tap at the Simcha when I feel so down and like Hashem forgot about me? Wow. If I had the answer to that question. Wow. Um, okay. I, I want to tell you what, what, one thought about that. You know, what's called failing and what's not called failing? Especially when it comes to children, when it comes to whatever it is. I heard once a beautiful vart. You know, we say every single morning, Shechazar Tabinish Masi. Right? You gave me back my neshama, your emuna, no, emuna see, it should be my emuna. This is my emuna that you gave it back to me. What a beautiful pshat once. Emuna secha means that a person every single day, every single night when a person goes to sleep, takes his neshama. And every single morning he wakes up, Hashem says, I'm giving you back your neshama. You know why? Emuna secha, it's your belief. You who believe in me. That's why I'm here another day. There is nobody that is alive today that doesn't have the full trust of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that he, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu believes that he could do what he needs to do. Having said that, emotionally, it's still extremely difficult. When we look at life, people that lost their jobs, people that are struggling with children, if a person could wake up and say, you know, a person could go to sleep at night and say to himself, I did whatever I could do today. I did whatever I could do as aggressive as I can. I really, my children, I love my children today, no matter who they are. If we could get the narcissism out of ourselves of expectations, our child should be like this. And if he's not, then it's a, then, then it's a disaster. It's a failure somebody who loves his children, somebody who realizes has, has belief in me, all I do is try. I have a friend of mine, 
near and dear to me, one of my closest friends. And he was struggling through, you know, the COVID financial situation, a bunch of things. And he tells me one time, Reese was talking to him and he says, I want you to know, if I believe that I'm doing everything I could possibly do, I am happy. If I lose everything, the fact that I'm doing everything I could do, I am happy. We don't talk about, we don't talk about this anymore. We, we prop up success, we prop up money, we prop up lavish vacations, we prop up expectations. That's all we hear about. When was the last time you heard about somebody saying, you know about this person? He works as hard as he can. He does whatever he can. The world may not be applauding you, but you should applaud yourself because that's the making of a true person. And the fact that, this, that, that our society has failed miserably time and time again to show that, that ideal, it's our fault, and we're paying the price for it. Here, Moshe, you ready? Let's go. We got some live questions. Here we go. Oh. Hi, Chaisar. How are you? Oh, Baruch Hashem. Fine. Okay, I hope you can every, hear me. Every share okay. is complete when you come on. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> oh, thank you. Nice to be the highlight of the evening. Uh, um, unfortunately, I don't have the most pleasant subject. It's, you know, because of the... I wanted to bring up, I guess, the elephant in the room, the COVID-19, that's, you know, the, the fallout. And maybe a lot of us maybe feel in a sense we're either whistling past the graveyard or dancing in one, but I, it's hard for me to connect, you know, Purim, you know, with these families that lost their uh, members. Uh, there's one in particular uh, that I was very close with and uh, she lost her husband and everyone's devastated. And I'm sending her shlach modest where mourning period's over, so you know, halakhically I can. But I have, yet, I have not yet called or approached her. I, I find it very difficult. I mean, I, even I pass by her house, I'll start to cry. Now, I don't know if this is, I mean, you know, sort of the people are experiencing this right now that how, how do you, I mean, I was trying to use the holiday way, holidays away, you know, obviously by sending shlachmanis as a way to reconnect, but how, I mean, she's not the only person, by the way, that, you know, I know that was lost a member, but how can you use this as a time to, you know, how do you approach this? How do you use this as a time to even approach people? It, it just, I think everyone feels, or at least I do, they feel haunted in a way, but, um, how would you go about maybe like trying to contact her to say, I think about you, I care, you know, let me take this opportunity. You know, I, 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 I'm sure that's being hard. I'm sure it's hard for her to force an emotion of Simcha. So, I mean, I would never tell someone be Simcha. It would be irritating, obviously, but especially in this case, how do you go about uh, approach these people? And they're yeah. a lot of in this community. What, 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 a, what a powerful question and, and something which many people are, are grappling with. And I was just, you know, I was, I, was got, I was going through some messages this morning and I got message after message from people who lost loved ones from COVID asking me, could you please make sure of the Purim raise some money for my family? And I'm thinking to myself, if these people are reaching out, you know, they, they, some of them I had just literally been in their homes letting them know that a loved one died and out comes Purim, and they're thinking about, you know, could you raise some funds for me? Um, a young woman in my community, a 37-year-old woman, left over three children just a few weeks ago. So yeah, I mean, this is this is really, really one difficult um, 
it's, a, it's a, not a difficult question, it's a difficult dilemma. I want to tell you some, a fascinating story. He was in the DP camps, and I just, in the DP camps right after World War II. One of the DP camps, there was about 3,000 men that had made it through the war. These were beaten, tattered men. And all of a sudden, there was a big, there was a big rush, there was a big noise, a commotion. And everybody ran to the, to the openings of the camps to see what's going on. And they brought in three children. There were three children who they found from hiding and they brought them into the DP camp. And everybody started clapping and dancing and singing. And one person says, what is going on here? And he says, there are three children in the camp. And he says, what is the difference? Three kids, what, what, what? they don't have parents. They don't have siblings. Who, better they would have been dead. And he says, you don't understand. This is a sign of the future. When a person dies, it may be the end of one journey, but everybody around them is just continuing their journey and they are going to perpetuate a memory by living a life which is fuller, by living a life where they're gonna commemorate that person. When we look at them as if they have leprosy, when we look at them as if these are some sort of, you know, let's really walk on eggshells around them and not say anything to them. What essentially we did, we killed them along with their loved ones. We don't give them hope to move on. If they may not have the eyes to be able to see the future, they may not have the eyes to have hope for the future. That's your job. That's your job to have hope for them, to see the future for them. And when you come in with energy and not saying cheesy words, like everything will be fine, just be besimcha, that's ridiculous. And it's something which is, you can't tell somebody to be besimcha. But when they see that they have a life around them, people are thinking about them, life is moving on. That means the death was not the end. The death is going to be perpetuating a life through the commemoration of other things. It's our job to give them the resolve they need, to be their eyes to see what they can't see, to be their heart to feel what they can't feel in that moment. But you're right, it's a very, very difficult task. Hey, Moshe, excellent. Let's go to, we have a lot more live questions. Let's go. You're on. Hi. Um, so I want to say on something that you that you guys were both discussing before, basically, how do you balance, like, a lot of times, let's say you, you're, let's say, hanging out with someone, and then you feel something negative, and then you're annoyed at yourself or whatever, then you could either decide to just be happy, but then later on, you're going to get annoyed at someone else because you bottled up that feeling, and really, that's not even why you're annoyed at, but really, you're annoyed at the original event that happened, but you just covered it up because you wanted to be happy and be nice to everyone and give them a good energy, like you said. Um, what's it called? So, like, how do you balance, like, but sometimes if you do deal with that negative thing and like think about it and figure out what happens and that could also help. But then at that, but if you do that, then you're like dealing a lot with negative energy. So how do you balance knowing like what to do in that situation? Okay. Wow. Okay. That's not a loaded question. So let me, so let me, let me, let me, let me hope that I got the question correct. So essentially what the question is, if let's say I'm hanging, I'm hanging around with somebody, I'm annoyed. I'm upset either at that person or something else. I'm gonna fake it now. I'm gonna be really, really happy and make believe that everything's great. How can I make sure that that negative energy, whatever I'm upset about, how do I make sure that that doesn't come out 
on, you know, later on that person or somebody else. Is that more or less the question? Yeah, because basically sometimes that happy and like fake fakeness um, could, you could just be like happy, but then what happens is that later you could yell at, you know, your kids or whatever, when it's really not their fault at all. Really, it's something mm -hmm. that you did before. But the, the downside of like dealing with the negative is that you're like dealing with the negative. Like you could talk about it, like either with your friend, you could be like, oh, let's talk about this really depressing thing. And then you're talking about it for half an hour, but that could help you. Or like, so how do you know? Got it. Okay, great question. You know, what, 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 what this Rebetzin is asking is Shiloh says, sometimes the best thing to do when a person's down, when a person's depressed is to talk to somebody else. Other times when we talk to other people, as we find we are sinking more and more into depression. How do we balance that out? How do we sometimes stay positive and not know that it's going to come out in another fashion? So of course there's no answer to the question because it's a case by case basis, depending on so many different situations. But I wanna give you one insight. This morning, you know speakers, whenever they talk, the story happened to them this morning, but this morning and the person I saw um, the, the person is, is listening. So if, if, it's, if it's not true, you can stand up and say, I, I, I mischaracterized it. Person asked me this question this morning. And the, the question this person asked me, he said, I saw that you got upset about something and then you were about to say something, you changed your mind, you smiled at the person and went on. I saw you do it twice. So I told him you saw twice, you missed about three dozen times. So he said, okay, so I wanna ask you a question. Does it come a point where it just busts out of you and that you just say, I've had enough and somebody is going to get killed. He says, is there gonna be one time in shul that somebody is literally going to get pummeled to death because you've just swallowed again and again and again? So I think that's a great question. And, and the answer is really depending on how well your skills are and what you're doing. Meaning, if we were able to, something we're upset about, if we're able to make peace with it, not to push it off, pushing off again, uh, that's a momentary thing. I can do that for a moment. But so many things in life, if we spend an extra five minutes, we're not going to be that upset about it. He knows this very, very well that many, many, many times that impulse to respond right there just did us in. And so many times just waiting, it'll dissipate on its own. If something is that troubling that three hours later, you're still upset about it, either you need to do a little bit more processing of learning how to be able to process that, or that means it's really something which should not be ignored. And it's something that has to be discussed. So the answer, the short answer is how can I make sure it will not come out on, on, on somebody else? The answer is if you deal with it correctly, it's not just I'm brushing it under the rug. I take introspection of how important is this? Should I really be this upset? If I'm able to do that, it should dissipate. If I'm not able to do that, that means either I gotta work on my skills better or I need to address this question. Okay, Yeah. Have a lot more, you ready? Yeah, keep going. If you're in an extremely hard situation, as in someone close to you is hurting you, how do you balance allowing yourself to feel the process, your pain, and you're happy? How do you know if you're denying your emotions or dwelling too much on your emotions? Okay, the simple answer to that is, 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 this, is this process helping you or is it hindering you? When somebody, when somebody has a, when somebody is, is going through something difficult and all their emotions they're feeling is destroying them. So they're not effective anymore. They're not doing a good job. 
They're not, they're, they're not living life the way they used to. They're all of a sudden thinking about drinking more or using substances more. They're, 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 they're escaping life. It's affecting their mood. It's affecting so much of their, who they are. It's usually that emotion is probably a very bad thing. It's probably not a bad thing. The emotion is a great thing, but the way that emotion is being thought about, it's probably, it, it's something which has to get addressed. However, when I'm feeling something and I'm able to make peace with it and it's making me feel validated, it's making me feel like it makes sense. And I'm allowing myself to feel just because you're feeling some discomfort doesn't matter. That, that it's not an issue at all. So it really depends what that emotion is doing. Is it hurting me or it's helping me? Now, if it's hurting me, that it's affecting my function, it's a problem. If it's, if it's motivating me, if it's a little bit sad, but it's not hurting me, it's allowing me to go on and move on, then it's not a bad thing to have that. So again, these are really difficult questions. And if someone's asking about a specific situation, obviously I can't talk to any specific situation. We're talking about in a general, in a general view. Okay, ready for more of Moshe? I'm coming. Okay, here we go. Okay, person that needs one more minute. Person's going live, get ready. Do you have any suggestions for an extreme for extremely for extremely treatment resistant depression? This deeply spiritual female family member has already tried countless Western psych meds, supplements, and some type of ketamine therapy available, not to no avail. They also suffer from dual diagnosis addiction and has apparently lost faith in her brain ability to free herself from the snarled confines of addiction added. added white matter it's clear she knows that the steps she needs to take but it's heartbreaking incapable of mo motivation whether or not she's using that which is in pain management on top of everything she just lost her best friend main confidant and absolute soulmate to a drunk driver on the new york expressway you got that question it was like all over the place okay Did well, you get it i got the, I, I got the gist of the question i got the gist of the question enough to know that i can't answer it but i'll tell you what i can say you know of Arla's on the line. Of Arla, tell me. What, 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 we, we, this is this is this is this is not. Uh, you know, this is these questions. Obviously, it's such a case by case basis. It's such an incredible. See, the point of the theorem is, is to give the awareness and to give the concepts. It's not going to cure anybody, and it's just bring it out there. So I want to tell you an, an amazing, amazing story. You got to, you got to hear the story. Oshi, you got to hear the story. You're gonna love. It. By the way, this person it, it told me has no problem coming on here to share his story. And we got to hear this story. This fellow comes into me. I was an intern in LCSC. I was an intern for probably like two months. This fellow walks into me and says, you know, do you, he says, do you think you can help me? Of course I can. I can help anybody. So I, he tells me what's his situation. He's having a tough time. I said, of course I can help you. He takes out a pamphlet and hands it to me. He says, read this. I said, what is it? He says, this is a list of all the therapists I've been by, my hospitalizations, my psychiatrists, my medications. And in the back is a certain TV show that is doing a series on me. I was like, a series on you? He says, yeah. And I'm reading through it. And, and this stuff, like, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, this, this guy, and I don't want to get into details because if he ever agrees to come on, I don't want to do the deep. But, but if they did a TV series, which they did do a TV series on him, this face block, I mean, this guy was, 
for the Bucks. I mean, the, what this man had suffered, what he went through, I'm looking at this pamphlet and my hands are trembling. I mean, all the people I've read about, he's seen. All the hospitals I've heard about, he's been in. All the different medications, he's been on everything. I'm holding this pamphlet and I look at him and I say, I really, really think I can help you. And he looked at me and he started laughing. He says, how long are you out of school for? I said, I'm not out of school. He started laughing. He says, you're not out of school, but you can help me. I said, I really think so. So he says, just out of curiosity, why? I said, let me tell you. I said, people don't suffer forever. I said, eventually, people don't stay in crisis forever. Eventually, people get out of crisis. It, it's just historically personality disorders. Some of the most severe ones, as people get older, they, sometimes they, they get easier to deal with. They're managed. I said, if you're coming to me, that means that you're really, that you're really motivated to make this work. You, you've been by everybody, but you're here. I said, that means that you're really, really motivated. We had a relationship for four years. Four years we had a relationship. I was his last therapist. Hashem, <clears throat> he's married. And incredibly, two years, about two years after I stopped seeing him, the shul was then in my house. I wake up, the true story, I kiss my wife, it's an amazing story. I wake up at 2.30 in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, and I decide, I went to go wash. I, wash. I was operating, I went to sleep early, I'm gonna get up. And usually I walk to the shul, which is a few feet from my bedroom, was, never we moved down the block now, it's a far walk, but it used to be, hey, mamish, in, in my house. So I went to my wife, I don't know why, I woke her up and I said, I'm going to shul, I'm gonna do Stein Mikra. And she looked at me as if I lost my mind. You woke me up to tell me you're going to the living room to do Stein Mikra? Okay. I wake her up, I sit down with a fresh bowl of chalant. I'm sitting down to do Stein Mikra. A minute later, my wife comes running out and she says, your phone, so your phone's ringing. And you know, I have a night, I left the phone in my room, I'm not gonna walk around my phone. I pick up the phone. It's this fellow calling me at 2.30 in the morning. I pick up the phone. I say, what's going on? He tells me, I promised you years ago that before I kill myself, I'm going to warn you. I'm going to tell you. I just want to tell you, you did nothing wrong. It has nothing to do with you. I know, you know, he had reached, called me a bunch of times. I missed his calls. He says, I know you're going my calls. Not because of that. I'm at the end of the road and that's it. It's over. So he said, but I gave you my word, I'll tell you, so I'm telling you. I said, do me a favor. I said, right now, I'm doing Steinmaker, I'm eating a bowl of chow. Where are you? He tells me he's in Brooklyn. He goes, don't, he said, don't try to track. I said, I'm not tracking you down. The deal was, you want to kill yourself? You're going to do it. I'm not calling the, the police. I'm not calling anybody. I said, let me just tell you. And then we started schmoozing. He said, I'm reading on the parasha here. And I started telling him what I'm reading on the parasha. And I said, you know, I told him whatever his name is. I said, should I go have another bowl of chow or not? He says, what's your situation? I'm fatter than I've ever been. He says, what's the difference? Go get another bowl of chalent. Got another bowl. And we're sitting there, we schmooze for 45 minutes. And he says, you know what? You're such a buzzkill. He goes, I lost my cheshing. He went back and we both went back to sleep. I want to tell you, this Murray thing, I love, we got to get this yid on. He's amazing. This yid has been through everything. And then one day he said, enough. That he said, Hashem said, life said, People give up. People see these lists of things we've tried and tried and tried. It doesn't work. Every single person has a chance. You need the right shliach. It doesn't matter. It's Western culture. I don't care if it's psychedelics. I don't care what it is. Anything could be the right shliach and the wrong shliach. But to give up and say there's just nothing left to do, 
is the worst thing in the world because every single person comes out of chaos. Every single person. Every person has a chance. What, a, what an amazing story. Remind me, we got to get this year done. What an amazing person. Wow. Moshe, what a story. If he's asking him to come on, he gets his own share. Oh, he's, he's, he, he, he told me he'll come on. Got it. Okay, let's go. We have a lot of live questions. Let's rock it up. Okay, you're on. Hi, is that me? Hi. Hi, okay. That story was incredible. I feel like my question is so simple compared to that. Um, I, I consider myself a happy person, um, but when I think of something that makes me happy, I can't think of anything specific. I don't think it's a show. I, Baruch Hashem, I have so much to be happy about. But when I'm asked, like, did I enjoy this and this? I, I, don't, I can't honestly say, yeah, I enjoyed it. You know, when I'm in one place, I just wish I was somewhere else. Why is this? What am I missing? Why can I enjoy and be happy in the moment? Wow. Okay. What a great question. So I think you are talking, you are the voice of almost everybody on this, uh, on this show tonight, including myself. Um, it is not very often... Unfortunately, in our, in our life that we're running from thing to thing to thing, it's not often that we ever stop and say, wow, this moment is just incredible. I think during the quarantine was the only time that I heard from people that they actually were able to enjoy moments which we really should always be enjoy enjoying, but they're not able to. The reality is that our brain works so fast that we are completely, as a society, because of the fast pace of life, we are never in a moment. We can never be in a moment. And even when we're in a moment, we're thinking about, are we in the moment? And what moment are we going to get next? The good news is that some, most of us, when we look at the, we look at the net total of, of our life, we see a very fulfilling life. When we're doing things that are fulfilling, even though we're not focused in on it, Right now, we don't, we, we, so right now in the moment, we don't do it, but it's there. And the biggest proof is, like I mentioned in the opening, so many people tell me the most fulfilling days of their life where they really hearken back to with such great, amazing, where they, they think back how amazing those days were. They'll talk about they're raising their children and they were the bedtimes and the, the rush of the mornings and the noise and the, and the cacophony of screaming and, and all that stuff. And I, most people in that moment, you say, how are you doing? How am I doing? How am I doing? And you know, I got the kids. Kids are a pain in the neck. Baruch Hashem, I'm not complaining. And then when they look back, not complaining, those were the best days of my life. And we're going to be doing this our whole lives. And anyone older knows exactly what we're talking about because they're doing this again and again and again, except that older people think thing was the best days are behind me. What they don't realize is that if they captured the moment now, and focused on that, they would be they would they would they would enjoy life so much more. So the answer is why don't you? Because our nature is as people that we're we're constantly chasing, we're constantly running. We have children, we have jobs, we have responsibilities. Life is so fast-paced. But if we were able to actually stop and just be mindful, learn some basic mindfulness. You could you could probably Google in 10 minutes, learn some of them. It could literally change your life. Every aspect of your life could be different with a few minutes of being mindful of a situation. So, but the good is that the, the, that the, the net result is that Baruch Hashem, you are, are happy because you're doing a lot of good things and don't focus, don't obsess over which moment is it. Is it this moment or that moment? It's okay. Baruch Hashem, you're doing good things. You should continue doing amazing things and have a lot of atzlacha.
You could try out sitting in the, sitting somewhere for two minutes, not doing anything. See what happens. It, the first time you do it, you're probably gonna want to run away and continue what you need to do, because that's when you become aware of those thoughts. But you know, try close your phone, and don't sit in front of the computer. And in two minutes, just sit there, and see where your mind takes you. Those thoughts. That's really the reason why we're always busy, continuing. But if you can stay for two minutes, one twenty seconds, try it out. <laughs> see what happens. Ramanachem, that's such a good advice. You know, I one time took an ACT training, which is acceptance, commitment to change, or something. John Forsythe gave it training years ago. At the beginning of the chain training, he said, um, he wanted everyone to stop and put their feet on the ground and do a mindfulness skill. And I'm like, okay, I don't believe in any of this stuff. This is ridiculous. This is for, for the women, maybe they're into this stuff. It's not for me. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself about what I want to do next. Or, and then I said, okay, let me try this. And then he says, is your heart beating? And I said, I started thinking, wait a second, my heart is beating. It was the first time in my life that I remember feeling my heart beating. I was like, wow, that's, that's fascinating. And I, and I honestly thought to myself, do you think it always beats? And I don't know, it has to always beat. So why don't I feel it? It's just amazing how out of touch we are. So if on a physical level, we're so out of touch. Imagine on an emotional level, how out of touch we are. And we don't have time. We just don't have time to do that. But if you could, it works. Yeah. We have a bunch of uh, Purim questions. Before we get to them, I want to go into a little bit of this topic, a little bit of the Gelt topic. Um, I have two questions. There are two different angles. So we'll start with one angle, and then we'll go to the other angle. First question is, I'm Baruch Hashem blessed financially. I have money. I go on very beautiful vacations. I have cold Gashmi, anything I need. I live a very comfortable, cushy, cushy life. But at the end of the day, I still feel very sad and depressed, and I'm missing Simcha. Why is that? Wow. Okay, so, so I mean, I, I obviously don't know this person enough. I don't know this person at all. So I, I, I can't answer to why he's not feeling that. I, I, I can't, I can, but I can, I can, we could hypothesize why sometimes people do feel that. You know, this description that you gave, Rabashi, about this lifestyle, this honestly sounds like my lifestyle, to be honest with you. It, it really, this sounds exactly what my life is like. Now, you don't have the big yacht. You have the small one, no? Yeah, but it doesn't matter. He didn't say about the yacht. It doesn't. You know, the, the bottom line is that for me, this is, I, I, I live mamish that lifestyle. People think that if let's say a vacation costs one person, for him and his wife, they go away, it costs them $2,000. So the person that spends $20,000, he expects that because I spent more or I have more, I should be more excited. It should be better. Who said Who's, who made that up? Who said the more you spend, the more lavish something is, the better you feel? I, I've never seen any study that ever said that in my entire life. When I think back, of, of my, I ask my kids all the time what their favorite trips were. I'm embarrassed to say, the ones I spent nothing on. We went to, to, to West Virginia. We got some, some cabin, like $108, and they keep talking about that. And the Mashtokan Hotel, they spent $350 a night on. Mama, should we, we, should we, shouldn't we? They don't even remember that. If there's a picture, maybe they'll remember. Who told people the more money they spend, well, the more extravagant their life is, the better they feel. It's such a it's such a sad reality. All it does is that now for the next vacation, I just need more. It just takes a lot more to feed the monster. It's a regular addiction. So why the person is not feeling happy is because he has a life problem, not because he has a vacation problem. It's not because he needs another he needs another event planner to try to find him better trips to go to or find more things to do. 
this person is obviously suffering. There's something going on. Is he, who, does he enjoy the people he's around with on the vacation? He may love the vacation. Is he connecting with his children? Does he know his children's strengths and weaknesses? Does he understand his wife's vulnerabilities? Does he, when he, when he sits with his wife, is he thinking about the time they're spending together or how he could distract himself? You know, these are all very valid questions, which no matter how much money you spent on the vacation, it's not gonna change the happiness. So on the contrary, I think that if we were gonna be honest with ourselves, if we wanted to find true happiness, it, you know, it, we have to start with the really, with the basics. Um, I'll just, just give you, uh, and also another question, i give you a, a great, a great Misa, this is a great Misa. This is Misa, Skid tells me, he tells me he made a chasana, there's Mijinka. He says he went all out, a wealthy person, he should be benched, I love him. He's a very wealthy person. And he did, took a warehouse in North Jersey somewhere and they converted it into some, some, something, it was a beautiful thing. He says he spent, I don't wanna say the money, um, he spent a fortune of money on this event. Mijinka, he went all out. Tells me, he says, everything was perfect. Everything was mamish. Mamish is beautiful. He said, by pictures, his foot was hurting him a little bit. The by the chuppah, was hurting him a little bit more. He said, by the end of the chuppah, he was screaming in pain. After the chuppah, he takes off his shoe and he sees that his toe is bleeding. He made custom shoes right before the chasana and he took a nail and then one of the nails went through the shoe and it cut his toe. And he's like, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't stand. He took off his shoe. He's walking around without shoes. His wife had a fit. He's like, I can't wear the shoes, it's killing me. So he has a very, very weird shoe size. He had to send somebody, they pay someone to come from wherever he lives to go an hour and a half to bring him his shoes. He said, he finally got other shoes. He says, the entire chasana, my foot was in excruciating pain. He says, all I'm gonna remember about that chasana is my toe. Imagine, imagine what that means. I feel bad for him, it's not, it's not one of these story, oh look, he deserves it. I love him. Givaldic, he spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, had a perfect night, but the nail in his toe. When a person has the perfect vacation, but the nail in the toe is that he doesn't really have a relationship with his wife, or he does enjoy being around his children, it's a good shelfie. Oh, whatever vacation you want, I can't big the yachts. Unless it's big enough that you don't have to be around people, it's not going to be pleasurable. So I think that is really getting back to the ABCs, getting back to the basics. Okay, now let's go to the other extreme, the other, the other point of view. Um, because of Corona, my business is gone. I don't have it anymore. How do I go about from, how do I go about going to use to spoil my kids? Now I'm not able to do that and spend that type of money on them anymore because my business is down. What do I do about all the people I used to give money and I can't give them anymore? What could I do? And I, can I say the famous joke, Ramosha? Please. It's a famous joke. The guy was a Gavir and he was a big, everybody came to him. They said, David, can I ask you some answers? I have a problem. Can you help me? Can you not help me? He said, listen, everybody came to me. He was the big macher, the Geisegelt. He lost all his money. He said, they don't come to me anymore for money because I don't have. But they used to come to me for ages. They don't come anymore for ages. What happened? Moshe, answer the question. So, I mean, the, the answer is as follows. First of all, this thing that we give, that, that people that used to give money that can't give money now so they feel bad, of course, that's a, that's a natural feeling. But that's nothing to do with you. That has to do with that. It's upsetting that Akadosh Baruch was not using you as his banker right now to, to give out the funds. It's a horrible, horrible feeling because a person who feels bad, uh, that person should, should, is lucky. That person is lucky that he has a Yiddish and a Shama, that he loves helping people, that he loves giving. Hold on to that sentiment. Hold on to the fact that, you, that it bothers you that you can't help somebody else 
And HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to take that bothering. And, and, and he says, listen, either it bothers you that much, either give me money so I can do the mitzvah, or if I can't do the mitzvah, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, is, gives it as if he gave it. That machshava that's there. I'm not going to get into another story about this because I know you're going to, because I know you have other questions. But that concept, when somebody can't give, but it bothers them, it feels bad for them, these people should be gebenched because these are real yidin. This is what the parasha, this is what true masuma, nediv lev, these are people who want to be made to others. Hashem should bench them. As far as their children, I don't know of a single child, any child in the world, that would not, that would, they wouldn't rather spend time with their parents and what the parents could give them, which is themselves, more than anything else. Kids, children understand that not always do parents have. We created this belief that we have to give children a certain lifestyle, and if not, they're going to be all depressed, they're going to be made fun of, and their lives will be miserable. It's not reality. Children love their parents. Children want to have no child, nobody else but their parent. And by the way, that parent that never made a lot of money, that was never super successful, he's not very exciting, the parent still wants that, the child still wants a relationship with that parent. If you give your, your child what they truly need, then you have to deal with your own trauma. It's your pain that, you're, that you feel, I want to be able to give this to my child, which is great. The parents should always feel they want to give. But for now, don't think for one second you have anything more to give your child than your time, your heart, your feeling, because there's no child. Imagine a father tells a, tells a son, you know what, I want to go on a trip with you. Where do you want to go? I just want to spend a day with you. We're going to go to New York City. What are we going to do? Nothing. I just want to spend time with you. We're going to go for a walk. We'll go to the park. We'll go there. Tell me of son that, again, you never know on a child, maybe it not be his type of thing or whatever the case is. But, you know, a typical, I'll say, no, I, I, it's not special enough. I, you know, you didn't buy me this. You didn't buy me that. If we create relationships, if we teach them what a relationship is, we taught them the world. We gave them the world more than anything else we could have given them. They should, we should cherish that and we should teach them to cherish that. I just wanted to say one thing also that I heard of art once on Purim. It said, what's Pshat Adam Yoda from Baruch Mocha to Ara to, 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 to Ara Haman, right? Haman. To Haman. So what's Pshat? He said that the mitzvah Purim is just like our life. There's times in the Kufan life you're Baruch Mocha, you're blessed, you're rich, money's coming, and that's, let's say, how you Oyvid Hashem during that time. And then there's Kufas the other way, where you're suffering, you're struggling, you're going through Kufas, and how you Oyvid Hashem that way. It's not just, I have money, everything's good, it's the easy street. There's two ways how to deal with it. And on another note oh. about at spoiling kids, take your kids to Disneyland. Those are all the parents that buy them and spoil them and everything. Stand by the front door, by the gates when they check out. Those are the parents that give the kids everything. And go to the park, Pine Park here in Lakewood. The guy in Coil takes his kids to, to Chalamoy to the ducks. You see the, the difference in the relationship. But it's, sorry. It's unbelievable. And by the way, Oshi, you mentioned before a shout out to our friend. I want to tell you something. You know, my, my, my wife then had a small management business, and he was, Baruch Shem, was doing big real estate. And he used to tell my wife, how much do you make? He used to tell them, I would not flip a building. I wouldn't drive into New York to make that money on a contract. It's not worth it. Just don't work. A few years later, when real estate was difficult, I remember one Friday night, he comes in. He turns to my wife and says, you know what? I'm so jealous of you. Says, Why are you jealous of me? He says, you know what you make. You know what you spend. It, you got, you're just, you're so, so, everything is so easy. You know what it's like for me? Every single day there's something else I'm losing, I'm getting, I'm winning. 
Rabbi Yechiel told me that to your side. I remember things I said, you, you, I said, you're saying that now, but you don't really believe it. He goes, oh, trust me. I believe every word of it. I don't know if he still believes it. But, uh, but yeah, it's a Mardiki Yisoyed. Can we go back to uh, Purim? I think we need to clarify a little bit the, the alcohol. There's a question over here with a ninth grader. Says, I wish my ninth grade son wouldn't drink on Purim, but he's telling us that it is planning on and basically not asking because that's what his friends are doing. So what could the parents do? What should they do? And they don't want to, I guess, they don't want to break the relationship. Mm -hmm. But the real question is, you know, maybe over here you can use um, three different hats. What do we do with the teenagers that they feel that they want to drink? That's what everybody else is doing. Yeah. Okay. So obviously I'm not, I'm not answering to any specific case because every kid is different. Um, and some people have, parents have a relationship if they tell the kids, you, you know, don't you dare drink and come down really firm, really harsh. If you do drink, there'll be a consequence. The kids will listen. So I know today we, we poo-poo that and we stay away from that. But should, we do that? should we do that? Work in some cases. What? You're saying not everyone should do that. No, not at all. Because for some kids, it'll backfire in a very, very big way. So that's why when questions like this are asked, you have to know the child. One of the biggest things I always, you know, one of the things is, I always say with children is, be curious. It's so important to be curious. Why? The, the whys. Why is it so important to you? You know, because all my friends are doing it. Okay, so I know all your friends are doing it. And obviously that means that you really, really, really want to do it. But do you think, what is your opinion on it? How do you feel about it? Instead of right away getting into the lectures, let's have a conversation. Now, what do you feel? What's your take on it? You know, maybe his take on it is not that bad. Maybe he looks at it that I, he knows I'm going to drink in moderation. I'm just doing this. Or maybe he doesn't even understand facts and you can actually have a conversation with him. So what is the problems of it? And by the way, I've talked to a lot of parents and say, my kids want to drink on Purim. You know, I told them absolutely not. And, they, and they're going to smoke. They better not smoke. I said, why not? And look at me, what do you mean, why not? I was like, why not? I mean, did she, you, you think they should drink? I'm like, you talking to the wrong guy. I've, you know, I, I never drank in my life. I, I Sometimes I wish I could, but I, I can't. I just can't drink, so I know. Why should your kid not drink? What's the answer? Because it's addictive. It's addictive, that's why. So tell your child, if you take a drink now, you're going to be an addict, you'll be a shaker. And I watch parents scramble for the answer. And the answer is because a lot of times is, well, sometimes, yeah, I mean, they're too young. They're not responsible with their alcohol. Hey, did you explain that to them? Did you even have that conversation with them? Did you give them the ability to even talk about it? Or did you already get into the preacher mode that, that it's, already, it's already a foregone conclusion? I mean, this is, this is, I know it sounds sometimes weird, but it's my kid. Why am I having this conversation with him? You know, it's not enough to take a, 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 a clip from Dr. Rabbi Abraham J. Tversky Zatzal about alcohol and, and, and the parents have tried it and played for a kid and the kid says, oh, you're right. You know, I'm going to be an addict and I will be in rehab in a couple of years. I'm not going to take that drink. You have to talk to children's language. You need to teach them, why is this important to you? What is your view on it? What's your take on it? And, and you know what? And maybe a parent say, you know what? I want you to drink also, but I want, here's how much I want you to drink. Maybe that's the mahalach to take. So I don't know what the mahalach is. I don't know the child. I don't know the relationship. I don't know the scenarios. I don't know the pressure. What I do know is that unless you have that conversation and you understand that child, don't give him advice. Don't give him muster because you don't even know, who, you don't understand it. And for my kids, if they take a drink, I'll kill them. 
But um, but um, no, but the truth is, it really, it really, it really just, it really depends on, that's just in case my children are listening, but it really just depends on, uh, on, on, on every child and the relationship and how, and how that evolves. You know, so I, I'll be honest about it. So, you know, when, when uh, my children went to yeshiva, I spoke to them about smoking. And I said, you know, I said, smoking, I said, I smoke, and I've been struggling my entire life with it. And here's the downside. If you want to do it, you can. But here's the downside. I explained to them what it is. Once you get started, you don't need it. But then when it, what happens, how it evolves, how it devolves, how difficult it is to stop. And you want to do it, do it. And, um, you know, and, and yeah, and getting into all the science of it, how their brain is developing and, and all these types of things. And you go through all the science to them and they may look at you and say, okay, whatever. Everyone else is drinking. Their brain is developing just fine. You have to talk to them what it means to them, what it talks to them. And then you could actually bring in, say, do you want to know something? I want to tell you like why this is so bad or what, what about it? And then we can have the, the, the rest of the conversation. Let's take it to the next step. What happens when Purim starts getting an issue with the husband and the wife? Somebody sends in a question. Every year, my husband gets drunk. This is my question, actually. Every year, my husband <laughs> gets drunk and then acts embarrassing and sometimes even inappropriate. How do I, as a wife, deal with this? <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So, I mean, this is obviously you could go one, one of a few ways. Number one is maybe stop being, maybe stop this expectation of how your, wife, your husband is supposed to behave. Maybe recognize the fact that once a year he's going to act like that. Stop fighting it. It's been 28 years now. Just accept it, embrace for it, embrace for impact. That's what's happening. Um, find an excuse that you have a stomachache and disappear. I don't know. But I'll tell you one thing is certain people, they fight the same war for years and years and years, which is they have no chance of winning. So you could, you could focus on that part. The next part is that the same thing we say with children, with couples is just as important. A husband or a wife that don't respect each other, can't help, you can't do anything about it. I mean, you could, you could, yeah, there's a whole list of things you could do. You could be made into the threat and you could, you know, it could be pushed back. There's a lot of stuff you could do. Usually very bad things, usually maladaptive things. But the same question you have with ch about children, and the same thing with a couple. Did you have that conversation? Did you share what it is? Or did you right away attack and say, you know, it's disgusting what you do, you embarrass me every year, and started that whole, but before you even started, he already tuned you out, and he's already thinking of which bottle he wants to get now, not put in. He's already planning it for tonight. Um, sometimes that approach of understanding what, the, what it is to him, and understanding why it's important, like what, why this is a big deal to him, and being able to be there to, with that, and then being able to say, you know, look, I respect that, and I'm fine with that, but here's how I feel about it. For a woman to talk about either her shame, and every year what he does embarrassing things, or something like that, I think it'll get her a lot further. And ultimately, if this person is really a big humiliation, and it's something which, you know, the whole family, like, they ask, like, please don't come for poor. These guys just whatever. Some people that just go over the top and have no regard for anybody else. I don't think she has to sit and witness it. You know, if the person is that callous, the person is that dismissive of anybody else and is going so over the top and, and without regard to anybody else, who said she has to sit there and watch it? You know, and maybe, maybe, maybe it's just like, listen, if you're going to do this, I can't be there by the party to watch it. I don't know that I would. Moshe, powerful. Okay, we have somebody more live. Let's go. We have all night, right? What time do you have to finish? Three o'clock, you said? What's your deadline? 
For me? Yeah. That's all the calls. What are you doing tonight? More patients? Could someone from outside? Oh, don't alert my radio. I forgot my radio. I don't even have it on me. Turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. It's not important. Yeah. Hi, okay. Reverend Rock. Hi, Rabbi Rothberg. Thank you so much um, for giving us from, from your wisdom. I wanted to know, uh, what is the definition of mitzvah gedola liot b'simcha? Um, I know for myself, it creates a lot of pressure to always be b'simcha. And when I'm not, I feel guilty. I feel inadequate. And um, since you did cover these last two questions, um, I have to say that um, Purim has been a turnoff for me, uh, Yiddishkeit-wise. I mean, I'm not turned off Yiddishkeit-wise, but um, because of this, because, you know, it, what, what is the mitzvah on Purim? I mean, you know, I mean, is the mitzvah the, the alcohol? Um, and I, you know, my kids drank and they drank safely, but, you know, I mean, it, it, this holiday never really absolutely made sense or it was never really I mean that really is not my my initial question but if you can if you can bring that in also so inadequate guilty if I'm not the simcha what is the definition and um again I mean how does that also you know tie into the expectation on Purim yeah so I want to tell you there are so many people on this on this on this group now that are actually nodding their head and saying yeah. Um, you know, and and uh, as I said, you know, the two toughest days for me used to be Purim and Simcha Star, where you, I have to be Besimcha. I don't know what Besimcha means. The only guy actually says what the toughest, the hardest thing is, so is to be. But you, know, you know how he comes like Purim and like Simcha Star, the guy in the shoe like doesn't talk a word, the guy like sits in the corner, and all of a sudden he's jumping on the bima and like he's the happiest, funnest guy. And, like <laughs> meet him, I'm like, I don't know, something just seems off. I can't figure it out. I'm the funny guy, and I'm like depressed, not in the mood of this. He's <laughs> dancing on the bima. I'm like, is there like a button? Is there like a Purim button? Like, how does it work? Yeah. So, so third <laughs> batteries here. <laughs> so first of all, let's just understand that the source of Mitzvah I heard people tell me over it's a Mishnah. Um, yeah. So, so you are not going to find it in the Mishnah. So um, this is not. Uh, if you want to find the real source for it, it's actually maybe is by the in the Torah. Of course, he's a Mitzvah to be Besimcha, but that term. Um, now, what does it mean, besimcha? And I think besimcha is is um, because people, when they are happy, they express it. Or I don't even know if they're happy. The way people want to get into a mood, they dance, they jump, they do all types of lively things, which is beautiful. And Adelayada is a machlekes, whether or not there's a real chiv to get that drunk, whether you're even allowed to get that drunk. We're not even, you can look in the Lake Chapa this week. I think I, I think that, that was that was part of the topic I wrote about, whether this whole thing is a chiv, not a chiv, is it aser, is it this, is it that? So what, what happened was that, the, the, that, that as every other thing, the ones that make the most noise and, and, and looks the most exciting captures the captures the subtitle of the, of the headline. So the headline of Purim became subtitled, get drunk, be happy. Um, and what does be happy mean? Be able to dance, scream, and whatever. Now that's great. By the way, when I see people that energy are able to do that, they should be gebenched, you should do it for a hundred years. I have no, no ill feelings about that at all. But that that should be the expectation is inaccurate. You don't have to feel guilty. There's no chiv whatsoever for a person to have that. What does besim chamin? So Simcha, I don't want to get into that. It's a much longer conversation. But for a person to feel a sense of wholesomeness, a person to feel 
um, to, to be able to feel that, that wholesomeness with the Yom Tiv, that we were saved, that tremendous things have happened to our people. And time and time again, if somebody forgets to say Valanisim, he says, Harachaman, you know, or Yehiratsan, Shayasalon, Nisim, and whatever, like that. It's a tefillah. We're saying it's Hashem Purim. I want you, you know, you've saved us before at the times where the things were looked, the darkest times, things came around. And, um, um, you know, and, 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 and time and time again, people equate that the, the people, you know, what stole the, the subtitle as being that requirement to be at that place. You don't have to. It's being wholesome with yourself, being full, being, being appreciating the day, appreciating the sentiments of the day, appreciating maybe how it affected you and your life or how you enjoy from it. Create your meaning, create your definition. It doesn't mean that you need to be half in the bag rolling under a table, otherwise you're not doing a good enough job. So I, again, and then nothing against those who are. I mean, honestly, I wish them, they should be able to do it for many, many years. And then when maybe one day I could join them. But, but that's not the touch of what Purim is. Purim is to be b'mesamech, to rejoice the miracle that HaKadosh Baruch gave us and continues to give us of Bayom HaMahim B'zman Hazer. Nothing more than that. No one tells you what you're supposed to be feeling or how, how a person looks when they feel a certain way. Just that she mentioned that uh, she feels guilty. I think many people have like the secondary emotion because they know they should be feeling good because they have so many good things in their life, but they don't. So now they feel bad that they feel bad. And it takes them all the way down to then they feel bad and it spirals, like you mentioned before, it keeps them spiraling down. So I think it's okay to feel bad. You don't have to, you don't have to feel guilty. If you're feeling in a down mood now, I, I would give them the okay to feel that. It's okay. This is how I feel now. You feel down? Beautiful. Stay there. How does it go? You just stay there. This is how I feel now. Why? Who cares? This is how I feel. And I think it's very important because if you can do that and just stay there and not go with the guilty feeling afterwards, eventually you can see some positives to look around. Maybe you could find some positive emotion, but it's only if you can stay with the negatives and not run away, feel guilty about the negative feeling because that's part of the self-acceptance. I'm accepting myself where I am now, and I, I, I don't feel good now. That's it. Okay. And I accept that. And you sit there and you stay there. You're not running away. You don't feel guilty about it. And slowly, after a few minutes, you can say, hey, I can find things that are working out. Maybe I could feel some positive. But very important not to spiral down that negative spiral with all those guilty feelings. Great answer. 100%. We don't dictate what our emotions are. No day, no mitzvah dictates what a person feels. That's great. Okay, Ramesha, we have more live. You ready? We're getting warmed yes. up. Ready to get started. This, this is like the, you know, the, the appetizer. Now we're getting to the, now we're getting to the meat. Okay. Thanks, thanks, thank you. Okay, so uh, sorry about this background. <laughs> I didn't out realize space. I was on this. Out of space. Hello. We love it. We love it. Um, I just want to add that that uh, Moshe said before that just just putting a smile can change that. So even if you're in the in that in that in that moment where you're not happy, but putting on that smile can really change things. So you don't have to 
stay there, you can actually pick yourself up a little bit and then you can be Mekayim and Mr. the, the Simcha of, of Purim in that way. Um, I I just, so considering we, we spoke about this before, so considering the situation now where we are these days and being Besimcha, I'm wondering how we how we balance the two, basically. That's the question. Wow. Is that, is that, is this, <clears throat> I, I can see through the, if I'm not mistaken, is, is that is it from my friend from, from Canada? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Shalom Aleichem, how are you? What a tire yid. Oh, thank you. Of course we have. Unbelievable. So nice to see you again. Don't be a stranger. Thank you. Same here. Um, okay. So one of the, one, one of the, one of the, you know, th this question is something which I'm actually <clears throat> getting a lot of them from people who lost loved ones. It's almost as if, and this one, this one woman called me up that her son wanted to talk to me and his son called me up. This is, this is never, they lost the father tragically during, during, you know, during the whole, during, well, within this now, this, this current COVID pandemic and lost the father, very, very tragic. Son had a very special relationship with the child, with the father. And he, and he, and he, the mother is trying to get a hold of me. Finally, we meet up, I got to speak to him and I was shocked by the question. I said, how are you? He says, I'm doing amazing. Learning, you know, things are going good. I said, okay, what can I help you? And he started crying, sobbing. I said, what's the matter? He says, I, I told you, I'm, I'm, I'm doing amazing. I said, after three, four times, it dawned on me, he's sobbing because why is he doing amazing? Why is he happy? Why is life going on? He lost his father. He says, am I cold? Like he, he, he couldn't understand it. And especially, especially since during Shiva, somebody came to him and said, I want you to know I lost my father when I was young. And I want you to know that it's very normal if you may feel, not for a year, sometimes for two years or three years, you may not feel happy. And he goes back to Yeshiva and a few weeks, and he's, he's feeling happy. And I said, why do you feel happy? He says, I'm learning. I said, okay. He says, then he says, you know, in his crying, he says, I literally picture my father watching me. And every time I smile, I picture my father smiling that I'm smiling. I couldn't, I, I heard that. And I said, what's a better sentiment than that? What's a better sentiment than that? Who created this picture that because people are suffering, because somebody was nifter, so therefore everybody should suffer. So the balance, a lot of times is people need to give themselves permission that I'm not, doesn't mean I didn't love the person, doesn't mean I forgot about the person. Give yourself permission to do what you need to do. Give yourself permission that if you feel something to accept it and not to feel guilty to feel. So the balance is there's, there's a certain amount of just insensitivity. When people are suffering so much to do, some, to do certain things which are insensitive, which that's a case-by-case -case basis is one thing. But because something bad happened, therefore, we should, we should therefore stop experiencing life. Well, therefore, it should put a damper on how we experience life. I think it's something we, we can't, we should not be, we should not be, um, you know, promoting that or selling that at all. But you are right. 
that what the yeshivas have done and what the, what the Olam HaTorah has done and said, even though this pretty much business as usual, but when it comes now to Purim, we're going to try to not have a business as usual and partially because of the risk factors, the fears of, of the technical parts, but partially when there are people watching a last Purim, decimated Kalyasro. We lost hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people because of Purim. And to have all their loved ones watching this happen all over again without a care to in the world, that sensitivity, I think, should be, should be really be praised. And there are certain yeshivas where they have almost 90% of the Bahram have antibodies and they're, 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 they're good, they're, they're, they're safe, they feel they're safe. But the sensitivity, that's a whole different thing. Sensitivity is important. But dictate that I shouldn't feel something because of something else that happened. That's not what it's about, in my opinion. But thank you so much for that question. So nice to see you, even through an old-fashioned television. I think that's his or a toaster. <laughs> yeah, Moshe, I have a question from a, from a 16-year-old. You ready? Yes. I am 16 years old. I used to be the happiest go-lucky girl. I was top of my class and the most popular. Since Corona, I started feeling social anxiety. I get nervous. My hands start shaking around people. I'd rather stay in my room than go out and have a good time. What the first steps I could do to start feeling alive and back to my old self, happy and close to myself and Hashem? Wow. Okay. Number one, if somebody, if you did something once, you could do it again. A lot of times people believe I did it and now I can't do it anymore. There are people, for example, who have made money and they've lost money and they think now I can't do it anymore. The good news is that if you were popular, and you were successful, and you were a good student, and people liked you, then it could happen again. And it will happen again, as long as you believe it could happen again. Very often we get into that rut where we just continue business as usual. Like Rebbe Nachum, Coach Menachem was saying before, that's, that's the problem. We get into that thing, why, I'm not, why am I feeling this? And I'm upset that I'm feeling it. And, and we go through, the, we cycle downward. We both spoke about the same topic, right? Spiraling downward. But when you realize that, yeah, I'm going through a tough time now, whatever it was, I could get back there. When you believe 100% that you could go back, that just because right now you went through whatever you went through. So the first step is, first of all, to recognize that wherever you were, you could go back there. That's step number one. Step number two, accept that sometimes in life we take dips and they're okay. We don't have to be, we don't have to be at a plateau our whole lives. And if right now you're struggling through something, it's not a problem. People struggle all the time. You're struggling at 16. Some people do it at 19, at 20, and some people do it at 40, and some older. It doesn't matter. That is not indicative of who you are. It's not indicative of a bigger problem outside of just something you're going through. The first two things, therefore, I believe, is number one, to know that if I did it once, I could do it again. And number two, just because I'm feeling down, it's not a bad thing. It's not, it's not a problem. We all do this. We have good times, we have bad times, stronger times. And what caused it? Could have been a million things. The changes in, in social, social lives, different things, um, expectations, different feelings. A million things could have caused it. But what could bring it back? One thing, your belief that you could get back there. And that'll bring you back. Because you've done it before, you'll do it again. That should be powerful. Okay, next person, let's go. 
Yeah, hi. So I have a question for uh, Rabbi Rothberg. It's as follows. I'm sure you've uh, come across many people with this kind of question and this kind of way of feeling. And um, I'm not trying to come across as, you know, I don't want to make a problem out of something, but I think, again, Rabbi Rothberg would understand where I'm coming from, and that is as follows. I went through the school system. Many others have, uh, have gone through it as well. Now, obviously, it's not a perfect system. No system is perfect. Uh, I felt like I was, uh, I fell through the cracks. Um, I think things have improved, first of all. I really do believe that in the last 10, 15 years. I think the school system has really, really improved in many ways, in terms of resources, the way they teach, you know, again, in lots of different ways. But I think I don't speak for just myself, but for many people out there. And that's why I felt it was important to actually ask this question more for awareness than for myself. And the question is as follows. How do you go from being a victim? You felt like, again, you were failed. You were not, the, the best of you was not brought out. Um, you didn't connect with a lot of your obeyim. You didn't appreciate a lot of your obeyim. Perhaps some of your obeyim even rubbed you the wrong way. How would you, uh, how would you tell someone who felt, feels this way or felt this way to A, be able to move on and B, not feel as though they're a victim, but rather obviously just, you know, I guess, become someone who can uh, help others who feel like victims or whatever. Well, if you hope you don't mind, can I, can I ask you, I mean, I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone knows your names, not, you know, identifiers around this. Can I ask you how old you are? Uh, yeah, I'm 29. 29. Okay. So not just could I relate to what you're saying. Mm -hmm. I, had, um, I think that you're a hundred percent right. That um, the system by and large, by definition, has to fail mm -hmm. many people because it's a system. And systems are always bound to fail. You know, I had my, my one yeshiva told me, I complained to him that I don't want to be in yeshiva. I said, I want to get chavruzas and I want to learn the whole day out of, out of yeshiva. And I proved to him that I could do it because a whole month, a whole winter's month, I think I went without a single chavrusa. And he told me a great line. He told me that the institutionalization of yeshivas is a perpetuation of mediocrity at best but it also prevents failure for most. So it's, um, it's one of the most brilliant lines I've ever heard about systems in general. So you're 100% right, and I think that um, the lack of awareness of so many different factors um, have led to so much more a heightened awareness and, and, and improving the situation. Now the question, the reason why I ask you your age is, you know, if you were starting elementary school again now, with your wisdom, and it was the same exact system, you would look back at that, you'd go back and you'd say, okay, your name is Ellie, you'd say, Ellie, look, you're gonna go through the system, you're gonna feel very down at times, you're gonna feel not understood, but it's okay. School is a fish tank, it's a small little fish tank. Eventually you get thrown into the lake, this fish tank is inconsequential to your value and to your real life. You would promote that every single day. And you would have had a whole different experience. You have a choice now that 29 years old for your 60 year old Ellie to come back to your 29 year old Ellie now and say, Ellie, let's go. You've learned a lot. You've gained a lot through your struggles. You've become stronger. You've seen a lot more because the candle in the darkness goes a lot lighter than in the light. So despite the darkness you went through, 
you also got to see different parts of society and yourself. Take what you've learned and see what you could do to build this journey further with all the pain and all the, all the, the, the pain of falling through cracks of systems. If you would be able to tell that to yourself at now at 29, you will never ever look back. If you don't tell it to yourself at 29, at 69, you'll wish you would have told it to you at 29. I have no doubt that no matter what struggle you've been through, what you've gone through in your life, it has made you a different person. You have advice to give other people. You have compassion you can give other people, least of all to yourself. So if you could embrace that, that your experience are there to, to propel you to greater heights, I assure you that you will actually use these moments to elevate yourself. And honestly, you deserve it. Thank you very much. I wanna just say one other thing, if I may. Um, I think, again, we were talking a lot about feelings in this uh, session. And, you know, I think I, when I used to say, you know, I, I kind of, you know, talked it out, obviously, and I would blame the system for saying blame or blame and things like that. And people would be like, hey, you're just blaming the Rebbe, you're blaming the system. I'd love to hear what you say about that, because, again, people are t basically trying to bottle you up. Yeah. So let me tell you what Ellie's trying to do. Ellie knows where I live. He knows what my profession is. And he's doing whatever he could do to get me to step over that line to have that big fat letter come out against me. I'm joking, Ellie. Um, without a doubt, you know, the, 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 uh, the system has to do a lot better job of identifying individuals from within a system. Um, if we don't do it, we're going to lose a lot more people. And by the way, it could be that kid with ADHD that's expected to sit for two hours straight, but his attention span is less than a fruit fly. And, 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 and we expect that kid to, to keep up. You're 100% right. There's nothing to argue about. And the system knows it as well. Um, the good systems are trying to adjust and adapt to it. The ones that are less caring or, you know, I hope that people will only send their star perfect students with no issues and no struggles at all to those schools. And they should be gebenched. They should take Mitzianim and produce Mitzianim. But um, Baruch Hashem, there are many, many schools who are starting to recognize this. It's far from perfect, but you are 100% right, and there's nothing to say about it. And there are no perfect solutions either. There's also no perfect solutions when it comes to um, standards. It's a very, very complicated problem. The problem is with parents as well. They insist on children being in certain systems which, don't, which they don't belong in. It's, a, it's such a multi-level um, issue. If, if Reb Ushi and Coach Menachem invite me back to do a whole segment that we could talk about education, it would be, it would be, it would be something, a, a topic in and of itself. But really, Hashem should help you. You should move on. Very much. We have like two more live and uh, another few questions, but we'll try to, to capture it. Um, okay. Thank you. Thank you very much, Bruce. Unbelievable how much insight and clarity you bring. So thank you. Um, so a question that has been bothering me for a while is, what do you do when you are trying to celebrate or celebrating Purim or any happy time in the presence of people that are suffering and might be jealous? Wow. Reb Chanoich, who by the way is a, is a very, very successful individual in the mental health field as a Ben Toyota. So it's a, 
Well, what an honor to get to see you. I, I think I only see you on Zoom screens. It's <laughs> That's right. Um, and I always ask you the last question of the night. Exactly. You always have to go for that. You know, so I think the answer is like this. You know, when it's some, somebody that's close to you, I think it's important to have that conversation. Because I think that very, very often people that are suffering and they get lifted up when people around them, it gives them hope. It gives them, it gives them, makes them that the world is alive. They actually enjoy it and appreciate it. What I don't appreciate is when people take somebody who's not feeling it, you know, they grab them into the middle of the circle or they grab them into the mouth and they're going to be misameh them. All the problems are going to be gone in three seconds because they <clears throat> to the middle and you have four people shoved him in and he, begrudgingly he stood up. And then I think that's, I think that's disgraceful. But I do think, and I think you sure you know a lot of this, you see this from your own practice, from your own thing, that there's certain times that people want to be surrounded by positivity. And they see that a life that they want to see the world is still going on. They want to see that the world is still, you know, I remember one time there was someone who was going through a terrible tzara. And he told me he was much so lost in his tzara. And he said he was driving down, he was driving, driving in Brooklyn. And he got out of his car, he started walking. And he sees, a, he sees like this door, he sees people walking into it. He went into it. He goes upstairs, he's a chassan and people are dancing. He says, I was shocked that people still dance. <laughs> I remember being shocked. He's going through his tzara. He's wrapped up in his tzara. He says, I, I watched it. I felt rejuvenated. I left. So I think, obviously, it's those close. You could even have that conversation. But in general, I think as long as you're not insensitive to them and you try to pull them and judge them for not being, let them be who they are, they want you to be who you are. So nice to see Reb Chanaich. Thank you. Amazing. A mask in Reb Chanaich? Yeah, very much so. I mean, let me just add one little piece. Imagine... Somebody's dancing with all their little children in front of somebody who was never blessed to have any children. Right. So, 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 and then, then you know, when I when I've spoken for different organizations, and recently I did a, a thing for a time, and one of one of the women told me the worst feeling in the world is when she sees everybody being careful around her not to do. But she says there's nothing worse than that. So not just my suffering that I don't have it. Now I'm the weirdo that nobody could else could be a, themselves around me either, as if like, I don't realize what's going on. So yeah, I mean, but then again, there are people who flaunt things also. So the dialectic, the dialectic. <laughs> Thank you. Amazing answer. Thank you. Many Very happy prayers to follow. Yeah. Here we go. You're on. Okay. Hi. Hi. Um, yeah. Rabbi Rothberg, hi. Thank you very much. It's been very interesting. Um, I wanted to ask you about, I have a, a sibling that's 10 years younger than me. She's married with three teenagers and we're very close. And she lives in a different country, but we speak a lot. And recently she stayed by me for a few weeks. And um, she's having a little trouble in her uh, marriage. And, but, and I, I wanted to be, I want to be there for her. I want to uh, I want to, I want to support her. I want to, you know, be the best that I, uh, the best support possible that I could be. But I noticed when she was by me, like lots of different behaviors that um, she accused other people of having, but I felt like she had them herself, like some like narcissistic behaviors and um, maybe very argumentative and very negative and everything is terrible. And, and Nobody cares about me. Nobody is with me. And 
and on the other hand there's some like conflicting behaviors like let's say like she'll say like nobody ever calls me none of the siblings our parents no i never hear from them and then but she never also picks up the phone when they call like they're always calling me to see like if i could give her a message to pick up the phone so there's like there's um these dynamics that literally i didn't um i don't i wanna i wanna so i want to help her but i don't know how i don't know my question is how do you tell another person you know not you're the problem because she would never like it's not she's not, not going to be accepted but like you know you're accusing people and you're doing this like you're you're part of this too and uh and you spoke also about vacations right you, you, you mentioned the people wanting the whole time to go on a better vacation. So I feel like she's also like that, like always wanting to go, like it's like not to be home somewhere else. And the, it has to do exactly with what you said, like what's the relationship with the kids? Is she looking out for her kids? Is she looking out for her husband? Like, And I feel like there's a little bit of aloofness there. And I want to tell her, but I don't know how, and I don't know how to, without her like getting very upset at me like so. right okay so so here here's the interesting part um obviously i don't know i don't know your sister at all and i certainly hope she doesn't watch this program but, no she doesn't right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. she's on right now she's on right now One <laughs> no i, I i'm okay. sure she's not i'm sure okay <laughs> never so and so, it's not um, she's not in the united states so okay yeah, because the internet does not go beyond the United States. No, I know it does, but <laughs> But anyways, that's, that, you know, so I want to tell you what's interesting about that question is you, you're describing something that anybody in the mental health world right now is getting that feeling of, uh-oh, I think I know what we're dealing with over here. Um, oh watching people smile and nod their heads. Yeah, so, so you're describing a personality and you're describing it. It may not be accurate. It may not be, maybe just be the way you're seeing it. Doesn't mean that that's the way it is. You're describing a personality that veteran therapists and psychologists who specialize in this field would have a very, very hard time saying, you know, doing exactly what you need to do. They're not relatives, they're not sisters, they don't have to deal with all that dynamics, which makes it even so much harder. They would have a very, very hard time being able to, um, they, they, they'd have a very hard time saying what you're saying that you're, have, that you're having a difficult time with. So don't be hard on yourself and don't create expectation because this is something which is really difficult. So I can't tell you what to say. What I could tell you is two, two points. Number one is to, a lot of times when we reframe or we're very, very validating and say, you know, it must be so frustrating that people don't call you. It really must be difficult, you know? And, and do, you, do you think you're doing your, do you think, and you feel like you're trying your best, you're calling as much as you can, you know, because that's really, really frustrating. And if they, the person says, yeah, I, I feel like I am doing the best, there's nothing really that you could do. Another important factor is all you could do is validate them and, and tell them as much as you do, you know, and just, just check in to see how she feels. Is it possible very gently? If she's going to be full force, no, absolutely not. Your job is not to make her better. Your job is for her to realize that she may have a problem. Now, obviously, for you tell her that you have, she has a problem, you just lost a sister from in all likelihood, you know, based on the way you're, you're describing that. So one of, the, one of the, the, the best ways to address this is, is a way which is also there's a lot of truth to it. 
But if you told us that, you know, I want to tell you, in your life, you have so many people that are mean to you. Almost nobody is nice to you. And as much as you try, nobody answers your phone calls. You call everyone. They don't call you. People are being rude. They're truly validating. It must be really, really difficult to deal with that. And I insist you must find somebody to talk to about this because you, you're suffering. You are really, really suffering. And there's no reason how you can do this by yourself. And I want to talk to that therapist. And I want to be involved. I want to help you. Because you can't, you, you, you're not the one that's going to do this. But if we could get her into a, a professional that could have that dialogue, that could point out the dynamics, that could point out the dialectics, that could point out, you know, maybe through motivational interviewing, some of the, some of the, the, the counterpoints, they have a much better chance. Your job is, number one, to try to reframe, see how that works. 99% chance it goes nowhere, which is to be extremely validating and motivate her to get help for herself because she is being treated in that way. Because guess what? It's not a lie. In her reality, she is being treated that way. In her reality, she is being abused. She is being taken advantage of. So you'd be doing her a tremendous chesed by doing that. She, she, hit, she does have help. She does have professional help, but it looks like she's also complaining about that. They're not professional and they don't understand her. And That goes all on the same personality disorder. It all fits. We, we don't, we don't, everyone stop nodding. We don't diagnose over, over Zoom sessions of the aid, MIPI aid. But if it is one of the more um, intense personality disorders, you know, just protect yourself. Protect yourself by not having tremendous expectations. Protect yourself that you're trying to do the best you could do. You mean well, and um, that, that's the best thing you could do. And always be, a, 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 you know, be a support for her in a way that doesn't tear your neshama out. Because once you get to that place, where she's managed to tear your neshama out, you have no use to anybody. Not to her, not to yourself. Okay, Moshe, it's that time. Look at your WhatsApp. I just sent you a message. I was going to read it. But uh, we're going to go to closing now. And Moshe, I just want to tell you, tonight's share was unbelievably powerful. We covered so much tonight. We covered everything. What? The only other guy that covered so much in one share was Dr. Madeline, by the way. We covered tremendous amount of the ground. We definitely got to do a round two. There's always a round two, right, Ramosha? A hundred percent with more than three hours notice, please. Yes, yes. So since there was the three hours notice, I just wanted to, you know, let you know what's going on. Uh, so again, Ramosha Rappberg over here from Tom's River for coming on tonight, giving us so much chizik. Everybody's texting me. This was an unbelievable share. People are blown away. You got to come back again. Tonight's share, again, was being sponsored by Ocean Breeze Cleaning from Lakewood, New Jersey. The friend around Ramosha Feldman. From Oak and Vine, our next door neighbor, Ocean Breeze Cleaning is a company that cleans outside of your house and the property, like it's clean inside. Bring in Pesach with a fresh new look. Call now for, for spray painting, spray, what's it called? <laughs> Spraying the outside of the house. The number is 732-276-5668. Use Coach Menach and discount code. You get 95% off right now. Call 95? 95% off right now. Call them, especially after 12 o'clock at night. Next Sunday, we have the source of having Reb Moshe Lift discussing part two of Simcha and Mitzvahs. It's going to be a powerful... It's so funny. We spoke tonight about Simcha and everything. This is like a whole different uh, twist on it, but it's, it's unbelievable. We had a little talk with him. Um, everybody was here tonight. That really enjoyed the show. Definitely come back next week. It's going to be unbelievable. Again, everything tonight was recorded. It's going to be put up on uh, Coach Menachem's website, www.menachemberenfeld.com. Uh, any questions, please email him at coachmenachem at gmail.com. 
Anybody who wants to listen to the share on the phone, it's going to be up tomorrow on our hotline. It's share number 42 um, or any other other pre-quarters of share, share them. The number is 848-777-Rotberg. No, 777-GROW, G-R-O-W. Again, all our advertising sponsors, Lakewood School, for always promoting us here in Lakewood. Robbie and Anif Razak. Uh, special thank you to Chayla Kaufman and Shul Summer from JCN, the Jewish Content Network, uh, for always promoting us. Coach Menachem, closing words, and then Ramosha, we'll leave it. You, 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 you end it off, but uh, Coach Menachem. Thank you, thank you, Ramosha. Thank you very much. Yes, Baruch Hashem, we did cover a lot. And like we discussed, everybody where they are, you, you first need the self acceptance because if you're going to be searching for Simcha all over the place, you're just going to be aggravated. Where is it? I can't find it. I'm not sure if I'm feeling it, if I'm not feeling it, and then. Yeah, you feel guilty and it spirals down. It's just stop, stop where you are and whatever you feel, accept that. And that's okay for whatever reason it is. And then slowly you can find in that place where you're sitting, you find some positivity. And um, I think Stamazo, a lot of people are not aware of emotions, the chlal. Um, and then that's the reason why we're continuing doing, doing things is because of happy and happening. We just need things to be happening to be happy. But like we discussed, if you can stop for a minute or two, that's when you become aware of those thoughts, those emotions. And again, if you never did it before, don't do it too much. Just do it for 60 seconds and slowly become aware. And a good idea is to write down what your thoughts are. Also a good idea so you can see it and no judgment. It's okay, whatever it is, it's fine. And slowly you get to see the positives, the negatives, and you get to realize, hey, happy doesn't mean uh, jumping on the beamer, like Rabasha said. Wherever I am, there are some happiness, you know, certain things I don't like, certain things I do like. You do like, oh, let's hear about it. <laughs> so, Baruch Hashem, Shkoyach, and uh, thank you very much for, for coming. And again, like Rabasha mentioned, if you can help us with our book, if it's whatever it is, if it's sponsors, editing, let me know, coachmenachem.com, at gmail.com. Thank you very much. And atzlocha. Moshe, the floor is yours. Give, leave the oilam with chizik, before Purim, a story, whatever you have, Moshe. I think you gave us all, but I don't know if you have anything else left. Maybe that was it. One one thought, just one thought. Oh, Moshe Norman's on. How did I give one thought that Moshe's on? One, 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 one thought. First of all, this is amazing. This program is unbelievable. Should give you should keep on doing this for many, many years to come, and your viewership should go up. It's amazing how much you guys grew. Can I know I want to tell you one thought. This is uh, it's not this is just a study. Take this with you. In the Hashem, it, it could really make a world of a difference. It was a fellow, his name is John Pierre, and those who was by Thomas so recently, I said this over. I apologize, you have to hear it again, but it's so beautiful, you have to hear it again. So John Pierre is a, a French naturalist. And this man had an obsession. He studied those furry little caterpillars. That's what he enjoyed watching. I don't know why. And imagine every day waking up in the morning. You think your, your job is hard? He used to wake up every day and watch caterpillars. I crush them, he watches them. So he would follow, he'd watch the caterpillars and he saw a very fascinating thing. That caterpillars actually go, the, the, they go walk in a procession. The processionary caterpillar, I believe was the name of his paper. Which is if you put the caterpillar in the front and you put another guy in the, behind him and the third guy and the fourth guy and the fifth guy, they will follow the leader all day as long as they're right behind each other, they'll follow the leader. I never tried it ever since I read the study, I've been looking for caterpillars. Also, now I can't find them. But, anyways, he did a fascinating study. He took this flower pot, which was six inches high, 
and he put in the bottom of the flower pot, he put food inside. But then he took one caterpillar, put him on the rim of the flower pot, and he put another one behind it, another one behind it, and a processionary caterpillars. And then the front caterpillar, he took food on a string and started moving the string around, around the flower pot. The front caterpillars chasing the food because he wants to get the food. All the caterpillars are following him. They're going around in circles. And he wanted to see how long will they go and just follow the leader. And they went for one day, two days, three days, five days, six days, seven days they went for. For seven days, these golems went and went around and around and around. And they only stopped because they started dying six inches away. Six inches away from them was food. But they would not stop the procession by going down into the flower pot to get food because they're, 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 they were built just to follow the leader. We as people sometimes are just like those processionary caterpillars. We watch society. We watch expectation. We watch what other people do and we follow them when sometimes it's the worst thing for us. It's the worst thing for our children at times. Not knowing that sometimes our food, our chiyas, our salvation is just six inches away. All you got to do is stop following. Be your own leader. Be comfortable that maybe you are not exactly like everybody else. Maybe things that work for other people don't work for you. Maybe what other people do doesn't work and you don't want. Just noticing that could save your life. It could save your life from starvation. And I'm talking about spiritual starvation happiness, and if each person, we realize the true meaning of simcha, of like if Coach Menachem said earlier, if you're not feeling, you're not feeling down, it's your feeling, can't change it. You could try, you could do, you could do your best. You are who you are. Stop being somebody else. Everybody else was taken already. Be original, be yourself. Follow and stop just going and going by belief, by expectation, by social norms. Of course, you're not telling you to be a Michigan. You got to be some somewhat fit in. But with every one of us would be do what's best for us, our ruchnias, our neshama, our family, our unique situations would really be unique. Would be unique in our success. Would be unique in our happiness. And I want to thank everybody for joining. Thank you, Reb Ushi, my old neighbor, for giving me this opportunity. Thank you for, and by the way, thank you for just giving me short notice because or done the same preparation, just would have been on my mind longer. Thank you, Coach Menachem, for everything you've done and for this movement that you've created, which I think has left its mark in Kleinsville, an indelible mark, and it's going to be La'olam v'ayr amir tzashem l'toiv. Amen. M'sul ha'tzlacha n'afreilachim purim. Don't get drunk, dance on the bima, whatever works. Next get drunk. Same time, same place. Looking forward. Who is amazing and a real personality. You don't want to miss him. A real personality. He makes me look dull. We started off with part one. with part two. Wait till part three. <laughs> okay, good night. Don't tell.